In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. Uh, feel free to grab some seconds or grab some coffee um, uh, if, that's, uh, if that suits you. So we started a series last week that we're going to just run for a few weeks called The Unlesses of Christ. And if your spell check works as well as mine does, unlesses is not a word, unless isn't, uh, doesn't have any plural form of it. But Jesus says a whole bunch of times, he says, unless you, da 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 da, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And last week when we were kind of just introducing the series, we were talking about how we, we all seem to have some fuzzy idea of what it takes to quote-unquote get into heaven. But Jesus didn't seem to have any fuzziness about it. He seemed to know very clearly what, where things were at, and he drew a very clear line in the sand. And he says that, he says, unless this and this, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Happy Mother's Day to all our mothers. We'll, f we'll fit that in right now so we don't forget later. Big shout out to our mothers. Yeah, thank you. Um, so some, um, somebody comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, are there few who are saved? And Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. And a little later, a little earlier, he had said twice, unless you likewise repent, you will all likewise perish. So clearly, Jesus says, unless, and then he says a criteria, he says a condition, he says something which is necessary, necessary for our salvation, necessary for grace to work inside of us, necessary for us to begin to live the heavenly life here on earth. God isn't calling us to live in the kingdom of heaven later. God wants us to live in heaven here on earth. Some, uh, somebody walked up to um, a lovely, uh, really holy man, that priest that I know, and he says to him, he says to him, Father, how do you know if someone uh, is going to go to heaven or to hell? And he says, well, that's very easy. He says, just ask them, right? This person said, what do you mean? He said, ask them. People, people who are going to hell are living in hell already. They, they describe their lives as, as hell on earth, right? And so similarly, it's a very negative view of it, but from the positive sense, God is calling us to live the kingdom of heaven, to begin to live the kingdom of heaven now. So here are a few of the unlesses of Christ, right? And they don't all say unless because, you know, like when we do these things called word studies, we oftentimes go and look up the, 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 the word that's used in the Greek text. Um, but you'll see what I mean. So it says, for I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, that if you do not is another, is, is another English translation of the same Greek word that's used for unless. Unless you forgive men their trespasses, you will by no means, um, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. If no, if, if no, if no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Finally, um, in John 15, two unlesses, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. If anyone does not abide in me, that if anyone is, is, is the same word as unless, unless you abide in me, you will be cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them up and throw them into the fire and they are burned. It seems pretty clear that Jesus knows where the line in the sand is. So maybe we should take a couple of weeks to pay attention to what are the things that Jesus talks about. There's also some other examples. This is all recapping last week where, um, where we see people failing to do something in the parables that leads to their... Uh, their, their, their condemnation, right? So the wedding, you know, the, the guy who comes to the wedding without a wedding garment, the virgins who come to the wedding without oil in their lamps, the, for, the servant who refuses to forgive his fellow servant despite the fact that he was, he was forgiven so much more, the, the, the steward who did not give the servants their appointed portions in their seasons and he's contrasted to the wise and faithful steward the wicked vine dressers who had the vine uh, the vineyard but they they refused to give the fruit of the vineyard to the owner of the vineyard in its season the parable of the talents one guy got five one guy got two one guy got one the guy who got one did nothing with it um, and so on and from all of these different things, it seems that it's not only important that we don't do bad things, but that we don't forget to do good things. It seems that sins of omission or omitting to do the right things is at least equally as disastrous as doing all the wrong things. So Jesus is highlighting to us to pay attention to his commandments and that not doing his commandments is a really, really big deal in his eyes. Like we think, oh, like, like people's, this, this, this happens not uncommonly. Somebody comes in confession, says, you know, when I haven't been to confession for a while, so I figure I should come. But I haven't really done anything that terrible. Like I haven't killed anybody. I haven't like, I haven't slept with anybody. I haven't this, I haven't that, you know. And sort of they have in their mind, they've got kind of classified word of like big sins. Like I haven't done anything big. I might have said a little white lie at work or something. I'm uh, not always, fa- I, I take the pens at work sometimes and I forget to put them back. There's a few of them lying around at home, you know. You know, but I'm not a, I'm not like, I'm not like, a, I haven't robbed a bank or anything. I took two or three pens from work. Like take it easy, you know. I'm not a bad guy, Right that's fine if that's how you see yourself that's great but it seems that jesus isn't only interested in the fact that i'm not a bad guy it seems like jesus is interested in what are you doing you know because the guy with the talent the guy that got one talent he gave the talent back to jesus here's your talent or to the master here's the talent that you gave me master here it is but the the master wasn't satisfied with that he failed to do something we talked about it in a series quite a while ago, and we'll talk about it again when we get when we get when we get to that example. So 
we need to pay very close attention to Jesus' commandments because he seems to be paying attention to them. So we're going to just take two of them today. He says, For I say to you, unless that your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus talking about? Well, let's break it down. There's probably at least a couple of words here that aren't words that we use in our common lingo, our common talk, right? So maybe let's talk about a few of those. One of them is righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is very simple. Righteousness is being in the right, you know? So suppose somebody has something against you and they think that you did something wrong and you're talking with a friend about how you should deal with this and you say, hey, but I'm in the right. As your friend tells you, oh, just go and apologize. Say, no, no, but I'm in the right. Like I'm, I haven't done anything wrong. So by some, by some standard, by some moral standard, by some legal standard, by some standard which determines right and wrong, you have determined that you are in the right. That's one way of understanding righteousness. And that's probably exactly how the scribes and Pharisees understood it, right? But we prefer to kind of think of, think of it more in our, in, our, in our orthodox theology as God's justice as making something right. So remember back in uh, geometry, there were like right angle triangles. So a triangle that had a, a 90 degree angle as one of its angles, right? It's straight, it's right, it's orthogonal, right? Orthopedics or orthodontics are, you know, the, 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 the uh, medical or dental practices of straightening something, making it straight or making it right. When you're like, if you're looking at, you know, uh, on your word processor and you want to, you want the, the, the words to kind of go to the, to the two ends of the screen. Like every time I put one of these quotes up, it ends up all squiggly on the right here because it's left justified. So then I click, I, I click, I click this button and that makes it justified. So it makes it, it makes it right. It makes it straight. Our concept of righteousness in orthodoxy, and maybe we believe that that's what Jesus meant, was not so much, not so much doing right, but being, being right. The right angle triangle, or if you want to know if a, 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 a line is straight, what do you do? You're going to put a ruler up to it and you'll be able to see whether it's straight. So, and then he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So who are these scribes and Pharisees? So during Jesus' time, there was a lot of politics. One of the systems of politics was the theocracy. So theocracy is like, like the, 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 the like rule of the people through religion. So because when Moses led the people out of the land of Egypt... You know, you had like a couple of people, a couple of million people wandering around in the desert. And Moses was trying to figure out how to keep these people orderly in some fashion. So God gave him a set of laws. Some of those had very much to do with the person of God. Some of those were prophetic. And some of them were civil laws. 
If your ox falls in a ditch and somebody else sees it, but he doesn't take it out and then the ox dies, then you know he owes you half the price of the ox because it's kind of your fault, but kind of his. You know, you should have tied up the ox better, but he could have tried to pull the ox out or call you to, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right? So there were, there were some civil, there were some civil laws. Well, that, that kind of morphed into a whole legal system. And so there were, there were people who transcribed these laws. Right, and those were called the scribes, and they became like, for the lack of a better word, like a political party. And then there was a group of people who interpreted them down to the nittiest, grittiest detail because they believed in an afterlife. And so they felt that it was absolutely exceedingly important that nothing was omitted, and they believed through logic that it was possible, it was possible if you would if you would make a boundary around each law that you would never break the law so so if 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 i don't want to if i don't want to cross this line if i never come within 2 feet of it then i won't break the rules so they started creating an independent set of rules that were to prevent you from breaking the original set of rules those were the pharisees so everything got incredibly complex then there was another political party, the Sadducees. They were the, the ruling the theocratic party in Jesus' time. And they didn't believe in an afterlife. So they were very wealthy, very rich, and very hedonistic. And they believed that if, if, if you were a good person, you had God's favor upon you, and so you were born into a rich family. And if not, well, you're born into a poor family, so obviously God doesn't like you, right? Really, right? And um, basically, God gave you all this goodness in this life so you could live it up because there's nothing to come in the next life. But you should be relatively moral, right? And so on. So you find the Sadducees going and asking Jesus all these questions. They're trying to contest the legitimacy of the afterlife. But so the scribes and the Pharisees come and they, and they come to ask Jesus questions, right? So Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What's, what's he talking about? He's talking, to, he's talking about, he's talking about that their whole system of righteousness was based on what you do, not based on who on who you are. Their whole system of, of righteousness was based on was based on the law. Right? And so like if I were to ask you, reflect on this past week of yours. Okay? Look back on your week and on a, and, and I want you to answer a very simple question to yourself obviously. To what extent were you satisfied with the way you performed in this past week? From a scale of 0 to 10. I'll give everybody a minute to kind of reflect on that. Or like 15 seconds or something. So the next question is, how did you reach your conclusion? Well, you reached your conclusion, you gave yourself a number, right? You scored yourself based on something. And it was based on some measure. It was some, you used some, some kind of measure 
to measure yourself, to measure your performance in this past week. Uh, how punctual you were or, or uh, how many th tasks you were on your to-do list that you got done or, or how many people you made happy or I don't know, whatever it may be, right? But how does that make you feel thinking about this? Most of us, when I think about this, I feel pretty rotten, quite frankly, you know? Um, and that's because I'm very good at seeing the things that I didn't do um, and, I, and I probably don't keep a good tally of the things that I do do. If God were to see us this way, then God would be on, a, on a, an emotional roller coaster with me. Every time I do something good, he throws a party in heaven. Every time I do something bad, then it doesn't work. It doesn't work this way at all. This is the way, this is the way of the law. Some law... The scribes and Pharisees, they used Moses' law and then a secondary law to support the original law and da-da-da-da-da. You and I may not be using some Old Testament law, but we may still be using some kind of measure that, we, that, that tells us whether we're good or whether we're bad. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't use any measures in life. What I'm suggesting is that God has made us good through inviting us into a good life. And our participation with Him is enough. And He completes, he completes that. Here are a couple of Bible verses to help us out. In, in, in Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Later on, it talks, and that's verse 1. Verse 33, it says, If God is the judge, and God didn't spare His only begotten Son, but gave Him up for us, that's verse 32. Who shall bring a, or verse 31, Who shall bring a charge against God elect, God's elect if it, is, if it is God who justifies? Like, just for a moment, ask yourself, do you have the right to condemn yourself? Yes or no? If God Himself, who is the ultimate judge, has justified you, what right does anybody have to condemn you? Forgive me, including yourself. This is a whole different way of seeing ourselves, of seeing God, and of seeing others. A couple of other verses in Colossians 2.10, it says you are complete. The word complete is the same word as the word perfect in all Semitic languages. In Arabic, it's kemel or kamel, right? Means complete, means like, you know, the whole pie is there and also means perfect. And in Hebrew and so on. You are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. We did a whole five-week series on grace and I'm not going to rehash it all now. But this is a categorical difference between how God sees us and how, God's, how, how, how God describes our reality versus how we often see ourselves and see others and therefore treat, treat them as such. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. 
St. Paul isn't ready for one moment to take credit for anything, but say that it's the free gift of God and His free free favor towards Him who is undeserving that has done all the work. My favorite verses on the topic... St. Paul is talking St. Paul is talking about to what extent to what extent is God is God filling us up with the fullness of God that we may attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ the whole measure of the fullness of Christ God wants to complete in you and me so any lack that you see, because you don't measure up, measure up by whatever measure you're using, that's still the righteousness of the, of the Pharisees and the scribes. That's still a, a measuring stick, and I, see, well, and, and I see my ideal self is here, but my performance is over here, and there's a gap, and that gap crushes me. God wants to fill that gap and fill beyond that gap and fill me to the fullness of the measure of Christ. So what do we have to do? It's very simple. It's very simple. We put in a little bit and God does the rest. In a, in, 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 if you... In better terms, we, in theological terms, we call it synergy or synergia in Greek, if you want to look it up. And it's a threefold action. God initiates, God offers, God reaches out, God puts his hand out, and then we respond. And our response is always somewhat lacking in regards to the fullness of the measure, how amazing God's invitation is. It's always kind of, you know, not quite what it ought to be. So then God completes our response. He knows that. So it's not God and God only and and only God. We're called to participate with Him. But God invites, God initiates, God reaches out His hand. We respond, and He completes our response. I'm going to kind of leave that one there, and we'll go on to my favorite one, which is, unless you become as little children. Jesus says to them, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It also comes up in the Gospel of Mark and Luke, but I just took this one example. Let me tell you a little bit of the story that happened here, and then we'll try to see what the relationship is between these two. So, the, some of the Pharisees come to Jesus and they tell him, do you not pay the temple tax? So, Herod the king had built this massive, magnificent temple, and then he just taxed everybody like crazy so that he could so that he could pay for it. So they say, say to, they say to Jesus, do you not pay the temple tax? So Jesus answers them, do, you, do they take taxes and customs from the sons or from foreigners? They said from foreigners. He says, he, says, he turns to Peter and he says to him, but nonetheless, pay the temple tax lest we offend them. 
right? Go catch a fish, this and that, you know, and pay the tax for me and for you. So he says that to Peter, and that provides the temple tax for him and for Peter. Now, the other disciples are watching this. And this, these are almost all of the church fathers interpreted as such. And they see that Jesus arranged for the temple tax to be paid for himself and for Peter. But what about the other disciples? And they remember that, that Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock I build my church, right? And so on. And they start getting kind of jealous. How come Peter? And the, the, the transfiguration was just in the chapter before, but that was James, John, and Peter. It seems like Peter, Peter keeps, keeps coming up, right? So they start talking amongst themselves and, and saying, you know, who will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know? And so Jesus pulls this little child into, the, in, into their midst and tells them, you're not even going to see the kingdom unless you can become unless you can become like one of these right so jesus is answering jesus is answering something when he says this right he's answering their question who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven but the fathers tell us that that wasn't really their question their question was why peter right and i think all of us, at least I have, asked that question before. Why so-and-so? Why not me? Right? And so Jesus' answer to why so-and-so, why not me, is this. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's see what a few of the different um, fathers say about this. St. John Chrysostom says, what God is looking for us to emulate, to imitate in children, right, is that they're lowly and that they're gentle and that they don't become envious and that they don't seek glory. You, you know, as a, 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 you know my, my previous training was in adult surgery, for six years and then two years doing children's surgery. And the transition to treating children was a little bit difficult because it wasn't because of the, 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 the medical side of things. That, that you know, was just a, a month or two transition and you kind of figure it out. It's, it wasn't that at all. It was, it was having to talk to children because children don't like to talk. Or, I mean, sometimes they're, they, they're chatty and they like to chat, but they don't like to talk about what you want to talk about. I want to ask them, you know, like I was an intestinal surgeon, so like, are you passing gas? Are you this or you that? Kids don't want to talk about whether... Adults, nobody wants to talk about whether they're passing gas or not. Very few people do. Maybe middle school boys are the only ones who are <laughs> delighted to talk about passing gas at any time of day or night. But most people, right? So I didn't know how do you start a conversation with a kid? especially if you're a stranger to them and you're dressed in some funny uniform and it's 5.30 in the morning, right? Well, it's easy. I was having this conversation with one of the surgeons I worked with. He said, oh, that's easy. Just ask them what they want to play today or ask them what they played yesterday or ask them what their favorite toy is or what their favorite superhero is or their favorite unicorn or their favorite whatever, you know? Just like, you know, watch like 10 seconds of cartoons and ask them what their favorite... Paw Patrol puppies or, you know, and they'll, they'll chat away. And while they're chatting, throw in random questions. You know, did you eat anything yesterday? And so on, right? And they'll answer your question and they'll keep talking about whatever they want to talk about, 
right? But they're not interested in, they're not interested in, in glory or position or they're not interested in any of that. They just want to play. Kids wake up in the morning thinking to themselves, what am I going to play? Babies wake up in the morning thinking to themselves, when am I going to eat? They're kind of like adult men, right? And <laughs> babies wake up in the morning, children wake up in the morning thinking to themselves, what am I going to play? That's all they want to do, right? And somehow, somewhere along the line, we adults have forgotten, we've forgotten how to play. They possess, says St. John Chrysostom, the greatest virtue of all, simplicity. Oftentimes when we say someone is simple, we kind of mean, forgive me, pardon my French, we kind of mean that they're kind of dumb, right? That's not what St. John Chrysostom is talking about here. When he says simplicity, he means it in the literal sense, simple, one. They don't, they're not thinking about a million things. They're just thinking about one thing, right? With children, it's usually what they're going to play because they like to play, right? Us adults, we live very fragmented lives and our thought processes are very fragmented. We think about this a little bit and then we think about that a little bit and, and I want to do this and I want to do that and, and you know, when I write down my, my, my goals for the year, they're kind of all over the place and when children, they've just got one, they've just got one thing on their mind, right? Blessed is the person who can have one thing on their mind and it's, and it's the kingdom of heaven, St. John Chrysostom says, The little child, whether it be insulted and beaten or honored and glorified, neither by the one is it moved to impatience or envy, nor by the other is it lifted up. Do you remember that story where uh, one of the elders, Desert Fathers, sent one of his disciples? He sent one of his disciples to the tombs and he told him, Go and curse the dead. He said, I can't curse the dead. He said, go, go curse the dead. So he goes to the tombs. He spends all day cursing the dead. He comes back in the evening or whenever and says to his, his, his father, he says, Abba, I was obedient. I went to the tombs and I cursed the dead. He says, okay. And what did they say? He said, they said nothing. He said, okay, tomorrow go to the tombs and praise the dead. This is madness. He goes to the tombs the next day and he spends all day praising the dead. And he comes back, he says, Abba, I was obedient. I went to the tombs, I spent the whole day praising the dead. He said, and what did they say? He said, nothing. He said, go and do likewise. St. Moses, St. Moses says that the monk has approached perfection. He's a monk, right? So he's talking to monks. One of, one of his uh, favorite sayings or most common sayings, you see it in a lot of different places. The monk has approached perfection when... When he is beaten and abused and ridiculed, it ch changes nothing in him. Nothing. It's like, doesn't phase him, not a hair. So one of the monks asks Abba Moses, but Abba, how can, this, how can one attain to this? And he says, unless, unless a person feels that, th that they're, they're, completely, they're completely dead to this world and have been dead for a minimum of three years, then they'll, ne they'll never even come close. Of course, he's writing, he's writing to monks or he's speaking with monks and he's guiding them. But St. John Chrysostom here is talking about little children who are in the world, not monks. Jesus didn't take a monk and put him, didn't take St. Anthony and put him amongst his disciples, right? He took, he took something that all of us have in front of our eyes. Actually, my pediatric surgery interview, like to, to get 
to get the job, which was a miracle by itself. They asked me why I wanted to do pediatric surgery. I told them, can I be honest with you? Jesus says that unless you become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And I have no idea what that means. But maybe if I spend more time with children, I'll figure it out. So they laughed and they said, the two interviewers, they knew me from before. I had worked with them for a couple of months. And they said, yeah, maybe you'll figure it out. Who knows? But it's not part of what we teach you in pediatric surgery. So you're on your own, right? So that's what St. John Chrysostom says. Origen says all of the stuff that St. John Chrysostom said and the other fathers say, but he adds to it and he says, children are like the Holy Spirit. They're simple, they're pure, they're harmless, they're gentle, and they're also very shy and easily, easily frightened. Not frightened, but you know, you know what the word I'm looking for is. And he says, so it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the childlike spirit inside each one of us that will lead us to the kingdom. And unless, unless we hold the hand of the Holy Spirit, we will not, we'll never see the kingdom. Um, Hilary Poitier says that children are humble and they have listening faith. They hear something and they believe it. They follow their parents and they don't know how to wish ill to anyone. St. Jerome says, whoever humbles himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. Going back to what Origen said. In Romans 8, 17, it says, These are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. What it means to be a child of God means that God's Spirit is leading me. God's Spirit is leading me. And with childlike faith, I'm able to trust in Him. And He leads me to the kingdom. St. Jerome also says that children don't persist in anger, like they can get angry, but they don't, they don't carry a grudge. They don't remember the, the, the bad things that have been done to them um, in the sense that, uh, uh, you know, if, uh, if I were to get angry or irritated with, with my children and I say I'm sorry, they're like, okay, let's play this. Like it's just, it's done, you know? They, they, don't, they don't need like a week to get over it, you know? They don't lust. They don't think one thing and say another. They just say what they believe. So I googled um, some poems, If Children Ruled the World, just for fun. If children ruled the world, every house would have a playground and a little kennel that could hold a hound. Bullying would stop in every single corner to make our world much nicer and each person would treat each other kinder. If children ruled the world, there would be a home for the homeless and clean water for all. Wouldn't that be a ball? If children ruled the world, there would be loads of swimming in the pool and everything would be... Hmm? Ice cool. There you go. Maybe Sundays would be for breakfast if children ruled the world, right? Children are able to dream. Children 
children completely agree with Archangel Gabriel when he says, for with God nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible to children. May God give you and give me that childlike spirit that can be led that can be led by the Spirit of God till we reach His kingdom. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for loving us so much. Thank you for giving us very clear directives about your grace and about how much you love us and how much you care for us and how, how much, Lord, you are willing to do just waiting for our response, just waiting for our yes, just waiting for us to put our hand in yours. Lord Jesus Christ, I want to put my hand in the, in the hand of your Holy Spirit so it can lead me, so it can lead me with childlike faith, so it can lead me and make me a true child of God. In your mighty name we pray, Lord Jesus, through the intercessions and prayers of all the saints, St. Moses, St. Catherine, all of our friends who are in paradise already, St. Mary, first and last, hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, thine is the kingdom. And now the love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace and may the peace of the Lord be with you all. Have a great week.